Today on episode 17 of the Violence Design Lab podcast, we're covering the second half of our discussion on melees. Today, we get down to brass tacks. What format are you using to tell this story? What are the two major styles of melees? What are feature fights and chaos moments? And how did Twyla Tharp teach me to choreograph battle scenes? Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so out swords and to work with all. Welcome to the Violence Design Lab podcast. Now here's the mad scientist himself, David Barefoot. Greetings, David here. Thanks for tuning in. If you're just joining the podcast, think of me as your personal violence design coach. I've been staging fights and violence for live theater since 1992, and I want to use those 25 years of experience to encourage you to enter the world of stage combat, to coach you to choreographing better fights, and to train you to tackle the challenges of theatrical violence design. Last week, we started talking about melees, group fights, battle scenes, and if you missed that episode, go back and take a listen. It's episode number 16, because honestly, there's too much to give a full review here, but Briefly, last time we covered what you need to know to start planning out your melee and the three through lines that you need to think about in order to design a coherent story. Now this week, my focus is going to be a little less wide angle because I'm going to zoom in on some strategies to help you actually move some bodies around the stage because friends help you move, real friends help you move bodies. Now understand, there are a thousand ways to tell any story, so a general podcast will never be able to give you specific ways to choreograph your show, and I wouldn't want to step on your artistic toes by presuming to do so, but the general format of a melee story comes in one of two flavors, the singular event or alarms and excursions. Which you choose might depend on the script, what you want to emphasize, how much time you need to fill, and other factors. A singular event, completely straightforward. It's a melee story that is told start to finish in real time on stage. An Old West bar brawl is a perfect example. The fight breaks out between the sheriff and Black Bart. The whole saloon gets involved as fists and beer mugs fly. And it ends with Miss Kitty firing off the shotgun she keeps behind the bar. The singular event is the what-you-see-is-what-you-get format. There's no location changes, no jumps in the timeline, and no one else supposedly involved in the melee besides the actors we actually see on stage. It's pretty easy to understand. However, based on how many people are involved and how long you need the fight to be, it can take a lot of choreography to fill even a relatively short amount of time. The other format for melees I call alarms and excursion. Now that's a term that's found mostly these days only in Shakespearean texts, and it refers to noises heard offstage and people running around onstage. But I find it to be a useful way of thinking about a particular approach to melees. This format tells the story in distinct vignettes or short snapshot scenes that follow in sequence but are usually supposed to represent either things happening more or less simultaneously in different locations around a battlefield, jumps in a timeline, or shots of people who are part of a larger group that we never see, such as an army that should be represented, but we simply don't have the actors. You might see three or four soldiers run in and drive off two or three enemies, and then have some brief dialogue and run off towards another part of the field. Then maybe you have a wounded soldier stagger on, collapse on stage, and then two enemies enter from a different direction and move to attack him, but a few of the wounded soldier's friends arrive just in time and rescue him. 
You can even include non-fight moments in alarms and excursions. Perhaps a, a thief comes in to loot some corpses, then quickly hides while a group of soldiers runs on and then off again upstage. This format has some real advantages. First, you have the artistic flexibility to tell a, either a clear this happens and this happens and this happens narrative or to indicate as much frenetic chaos as you would like. People running around seemingly at random, mixed with dramatic lighting, percussive sound, or driving music, smoke, and those kind of things, those will ramp up the energy, tension, and the sensory effects on your audience while not overly burdening your actors with excessive amounts of choreography. Now, also, because of the non-real-time nature of alarms and excursions, you can effectively summarize an extended battle in a few minutes by showing the highlight reel, so to speak, you can even follow a specific character's experience of the long day of fighting in a way impossible to do in real time. A fighter can end one vignette, run off stage or have the light shift, and enter the next scene, quote, minutes or hours later in the timeline. Another benefit that I alluded to a moment ago is that alarms and excursions can fill a fair amount of stage time without a great deal of choreography. Each vignette can be mostly built by blocking out traffic patterns for groups of actors with perhaps a few quick fight moves before the scene moves off stage again. Last week I mentioned that I was designing Narnia for a children's theater and I was tasked with filling eight and a half minutes with a battle sequence for 37 kids. Yet you can bet I went straight to alarms and excursions to fill that bill. Okay, so now suppose you have your format chosen. Let's iris in a little more. Within that singular event or vignette in your alarms and excursion style melee, there's another question to ask about the fight itself, and it's a question that, dare I say dramatically, affects the subsequent look of your choreography. The question is, will this fight be open order or close order? See, there are two major ways of fighting with groups, open order and close order. In open order melees, Individual fight partners establish their own space in which to fight, usually separated from each other by at least a weapon length. These kinds of battles depict warriors who may maneuver as a loose unit, but when the swords and the punches start flying, they fight as individuals. Barroom brawls, gang fights, group rapier battles, skirmishers of all eras, and, and modern infantry warfare, they're all open order as are troops known for their individual prowess or glory-seeking nature, such as knights of many eras, uh, Viking raiders, early Middle Ages Germanic tribes, Native American warriors. Open order melees aren't necessarily every man for himself, and when a one-on-one -on -one fight resolves, the victor can easily join his friend's fight and bring the odds of two-to-one to bear to win that fight, etc., Choreographing open-order melees tends to be simpler, since there are many one-on-one -on -one moments, even if fighters aren't staying with the same opponent for very long. These kinds of interactions will be familiar to many actors, and they're easier to rehearse piecemeal. Close-order me melees are rarer, but they're very cool. In a close-order melee, at least one of the fighting groups stands quite close to one another, often literally shoulder-to-shoulder, and commonly have more than one row or rank of fighters in a block. Examples are Roman legions, uh, Spanish tercios in the Thirty Years' War, Napoleonic infantry, uh, American Civil War brigades, and small units closing up for protection against a much more numerous foe. This kind of fighting represents dedicated military training, at least on some level. It is not a, quote, natural way to fight, though it can be brutally effective. 
The main problem with close order melees from a casting standpoint is they require many more fighters to seem like a large battle, since you can often fit six fighters, three on a side, in the same fighting space as one pair in an open order setup. Now, part of this problem can be eliminated by setting up a limited frontage, such as a, a few soldiers defending a hallway or a narrow gap between buildings, but this flavor of fight simply requires more fighters to cover the same stage area. Close order melees have very few one-on-one -on -one pairings. Attacks are coming in from several angles at once, and a fighter has a choice of retargets in return. The best close order work shows fighters working in concert. An enemy's weapon may be immobilized by one fighter while her comrade stabs the helpless foe, or a pair of halberdiers stand behind the front rank and ply their pole axes over their friend's shoulders. Maybe a warrior uses the beak of an axe to pull down an enemy's shield to expose him to the attack of his buddy. The biggest challenge with close order melees is frankly the density of the choreography. Since everyone on a line is fighting with everyone on the other line who's within reach, there's a lot of cross-line attacks and defenses. Keeping everything straight, well, it requires a clear notation system that you understand, lots of patience when teaching the melee to actors, and a great deal of rehearsal. Now, learning this melee slowly and rehearsing it slowly for a long time is important, too. Since so many people are within the compass of so many weapons, everyone must be constantly aware of their blade or weapon traffic. However, when you get your fighters uh, to, to have a close order melee working and up to speed, it looks amazing. And actors routinely say they love it because it feels like a real battle. I'm, I'm going to talk about moving actors around the stage in just a moment, but I want to pause and remind you of something that I have been guilty of forgetting. This is not a movie. In other words, your audience, they'll be watching your melee from a single fixed position. They can't zoom in, they, they can look anywhere they like, and, and they can't see through actors' bodies. You can design the coolest, most intricate choreography in the world, but you put it upstage with six other people fighting in front, and no one will ever see it, unless you have balconies and you want something special just for the cheap seats. But this is a big problem when you're designing something on paper or if you're using coins or some other marker to indicate your fighters as you design. You're looking down from the top so you can see everything, but your audience can't. Close order melees especially have sightline problems. You set up the fight, say, stage left and stage right, and those poor chaps upstage or in the middle of the line, they're barely going to be seen. And if you turn it upstage, downstage, well, your audience is going to be watching a lot of butts and elbows with the occasional glimpse of, you know, weapons coming down over the top, unless your stage is raked or the house is, or your upstage faction is fighting down from an elevated platform. Be aware that the audience's sightlines may be very different than what you see in your head. Now, let's talk chaos. When everyone is fighting at once and no single pair or group is visually emphasized, you have what I call chaos moments. When this happens, the audience scans the entire battle, occasionally picking out a larger move or two, or watching a pair of fighters for a couple of seconds before moving on to somebody else. Chaos moments are a lot like the moments in operas or musicals when five or six people are singing at once. The interweaving harmonies can be beautiful and interesting, and you can pick out certain words and phrases if you focus on one singer, but you certainly can't absorb everything that is being sung. You sort of let the sound wash over you rather than heeding every word. 
Now, chaos moments are useful for communicating that frenetic, everything-happening-at-once nature of melee, and they're good in small doses. They aren't very good, however, at telling a coherent story to the audience because people can look wherever they want. And if character or plot-advancing moments are included in the chaos moment, well, chances are we'll be watching the wrong place at the wrong time and we won't see them happening. As audience members, our eyes just roam the stage and finally land on either the fighters nearest to us, the person making the most noise, or our friend in the cast, and that is very likely to not be the dramatically important place to be watching. Now, I don't have a problem with chaos moments. I include them all the time. Chaos can be useful and interesting, but the most common complaint that I have with melees that I see on stage is that they are entirely chaos moments. They're a muddled mess, a a confused struggle, like the dictionary definition I mentioned in the last episode. So if you're going to counterpoint chaos moments, you need to set up feature fights. Those are specific fight interactions or moments that you don't want the audience to miss. And to do that, we have to figure out how to direct the audience's eye. See, in a fight for a movie or television, we can fill the audience's visual picture with two specific fighters or one person's expression or even a tight shot of a weapon hand. However, with stage battles, the audience can see the entire stage picture at all times and they're free to look wherever they like. Or so I thought until I learned about spin-offs, reveals, and pointers. And for this, for, for teaching me how to design battle scenes intelligently, I have to give props to my melee movement mentor, Twyla Tharp. Yeah, the famous dance choreographer. Now, in all honesty, I've never had the honor of meeting Ms. Tharp, but I still consider her my mentor for designing melees. Here's how it happened. Years ago, after I'd been designing fights for four or five years, and I had choreographed several melees in that time, I went to a performance of Hubbard Street Dance Company, an amazing modern dance troupe based in Chicago. Several of the pieces in this particular show were group numbers that Twyla had choreographed, and I remember literally sitting back in my seat, blown away by what I was seeing, and knowing right away that it would completely inspire how I would stage melees from then on. Now, there were no fights in these pieces, but dance tells physical stories just as surely as fight choreography, and Tharp... It's a master storyteller who knows the medium of live performance. She's an expert at taking a big, stage-filling scene of group choreography and forcing your eye to look exactly where she wants it. So after the performance I saw, I came home and analyzed how she did it. Now, I don't claim to have unlocked all her secrets, but I did identify three major techniques she used to direct the audience's focus. And I've used these techniques for 20 years now with great success, so maybe they'll help you too. The first focus tool for your melee toolbox is the spin-off. Imagine a group of 10 or 12 people fighting on stage. No, imagine it from the audience perspective, at eye level, where all your fighters basically look like a clump, and you can't see much past the first two or three people. A spin-off is a, uh, a, is a pair of fighters who suddenly move away from the group to stage left or stage right, and they continue fighting. This draws your eye from the general mass to the specific confrontation taking place between those two fighters. For at least a moment or two, you're going to draw nearly every eye in the audience to that fight, provided that the spin-off movement was big and, and sudden enough. The spin-off's reverse image cousin is the reveal. For this technique, the entire main body of the melee moves, leaving a pair of fighters behind. Think of one side suddenly breaking and running off stage in a rout while the victorious side largely chases after them, 
And in the wake of this sudden movement, two fighters are left behind, still locked in their personal struggle. Our eyes will naturally begin to track the larger movement, but they'll snap back to see why two people are being left behind. Your third focus tool is the pointer. These are sudden movements or differentiated sound that draw our attention to a particular place to focus. Imagine a general mass of combatants center stage fighting in open order, but still fairly tightly packed together. Say, too, that you've done a spinoff to stage left where two other people are fighting. Suddenly, one of those spinoff fighters gets slung back to center stage practically at a run. She passes down stage of two actors fighting, then emerge, immediately turns upstage and merges into the crowd. Our eyes will track that big movement across the stage, then stay focused on roughly where she disappeared, meaning she has now pointed us to the two downstage fighter where the designer wants us to focus next. It's a cool trick, and it really works. The, uh, the human eye is, or senses, really, are drawn to change. Large movements draw the eye, sudden noises alert the ear. Imagine an open-order melee spread across the whole stage, and as a loud scream that pierces the noise will pull focus to that pairing or group of fighters. Now keep in mind, though, that noise pointers, they come with a slight delay. Our eyes need a moment to locate the source of the sound, so make sure if you have a specific attack or kill you want the audience to definitely see, the sound must come before the killing strike, if it happens at the, because if it happens at the same time, most of your audience may only see the result, like the person dying, rather than the action that caused it. Doing the sound and the action at the same time creates essentially a reveal using an audio pointer. You know, Shakespeare even understood the, the use of audio pointers. In the final scene of Hamlet, just after Hamlet realizes he's fighting for his life rather than in sport, a courtier calls out, Look to the queen there! And, and this is an audience audio pointer that reveals that Queen Gertrude, who had drunk from the poison cup earlier in the scene, has collapsed dead. Rick Gilbert and I were once tasked by a graduate-level English professor to stage the final scene of Hamlet in her class because the students couldn't understand why that look-to-the-queen line was in the text. From, because, from, based on their literary analysis standpoint, the dramatic high point of the scene is Gertrude's realization that the cup was poisoned, and therefore her husband Claudius killed Hamlet's father. And so her death struggle and collapse should have been the focal point of the whole scene, and no one should need to be told that the queen was dying, right? except that the English students, who were initially only reading the play, forgot that a fight is happening on stage at the same time the Queen is dying. So when Rick and I staged the scene and got to the look to the Queen line, the students literally said, wait, wait, when did she die? I missed it. Aha! Right? The student playing the Queen had literally fallen out of her chair onto the floor, and her classmates had missed it because they were too busy watching people swinging swords and getting stabbed. What do you know? So Shakespeare added that audio pointer to bring our attention back to where he wanted it. Okay, so you have three through lines, your format, your melee style, chaos moments, feature fights, spin-offs, reveals, pointers. Are you feeling overwhelmed yet? Well, I'm going to lay out the system I use to put it all together. All right, the nuts and bolts. As you plan your big melee, start at the macro level, the big picture, the overall through line of the battle. Draw out or use toy soldiers or some kind of markers so you know where everyone starts 
and then plan the traffic patterns. Where will everyone move and when will they move relative to others? Walk through the melee or each vignette from start to finish to set the story of the battle in your mind. Now at this level, don't worry about individual choreography. Simply estimate how long each fighter will spend with each opponent before dying, disengaging, or winning and moving on. Jot down whatever helps you remember this. It could be four moves or five seconds, immediate kill, whatever makes sense to you. And as you do this, you'll probably have ideas for specific moments or feature fights or bits of choreography. Write those thoughts down so you don't lose them, but don't stop to choreograph yet. Don't add the meat until you've got the bones. When you're done with this pass, you should have a list of plot points that happen in your melee. Those are your featured fights. When you're mapping out these moments uh, on your stage space, place your feature fights in visually strong position. Now these are places with a clear line of sight to the audience, often downstage, center stage, or up on a platform. It's going to do you no good to design a feature fight and then stick it up behind eight other people where no one will see it. Now, for pass number two, go back and make sure to build in spin-offs, reveals, pointers, or other ways to show the audience where to look to follow the story of the melee or help them focus on your feature fights. The important thing to realize when you do this is not only are you getting to decide what specific moves the actors will perform, but you've also just introduced the need for your actors to know when they should do things relative to other people who aren't necessarily in their immediate fight. See, this is an important concept to understand in the choreography and rehearsal of a melee. Not only will you be asking actors to perform a stage combat sequence like they would in a two-person fight, but they must simultaneously have an awareness of what's going on with the fight around them and be ready to integrate with the actions of other fighters around them at the appropriate time. Imagine if you want to feature a moment when a brave shield maiden rushes over in the nick of time to stop her stricken chieftain from being slain, you know, blocking an enemy's killing strike at the last moment. Now, obviously, timing is critical here, because if the enemy actor is at the point in his choreography when all he has left is the kill strike and the shield maiden is not there to block it, (laughs) things are going to get awkward very fast. So, you need to build into the choreography around the rescue a clear cue that tells that rescuing fighter disengage now from her current fight and gives her time to get there to save the chieftain at the right moment. Now this cue or signal can be many things from the attacker shouting a particular line to the chieftain falling to the ground in the shield maiden's line of sight, someone running past her or whatever makes sense. Now this is also a good place to talk about background fights. The perceptive among you will have inferred that if you have featured fights in a melee, it must also follow that you will have non-featured or background fights as well. Background fights are literally like the background of a painting, absolutely essential for the landscape to look complete, but they're not the focus of the viewer and they're not as finely detailed as the foreground. As your feature fights happen, they should draw the focus of the audience, but, but that doesn't mean the rest of the melee stops happening. However, As you design background choreography, you should have a care that you don't upstage your feature fight. Just as actors throw focus to each other in an acting scene, your fights need to do the same. Background choreography should be simpler and smaller than feature choreography, and it doesn't want to dramatically move around the stage. Keep it fairly stationary. It can even be somewhat repetitive. Now, if you're like me, Designing background choreography like this, it takes discipline because it's easy to veer away from small and simple and get crazy. 
But background choreography has a couple of advantages. First, it's literally not as interesting to the audience, so if they are scanning the battle, it'll help lead their eyes back to your feature moments. Second, it's easier to teach. Remember that, by definition of a melee, you have a lot of fighters to train. You might have 12 or 15 people to give choreography to, and that takes significant time. And often, many of the people in your battle will not be your best fighters, so simpler is better. Also, if you give fighters background choreography, the the simple or repetitive nature allows them to split their focus enough to be able to watch for the cue that will signal them to move into their feature fight or whatever. Locking up in a grapple is a great example because it allows the fighters to struggle for a short or as long as a time is needed to wait for their cue, and at least one of the pair should be able to watch for a visual timing signal. So what's left? Now that you've planned the story of your melee, you've picked your feature fights, decided how to direct the audience's focus to them, set up the cues you need for your actor, and and determine which fights are background fights, what's left? Well, as a longtime stuntwoman friend of mine is fond of saying, ain't nothing to it but to do it. In other words, pick up a sword or make a fist and start laying down choreography for everyone, and, and, and do be sure to write it down. See, with all the things I've given you to think about over the last two episodes, you can see why melees are some of the most challenging moments of violence that you're ever ever going to design. But when you approach them systematically, and you move from large concepts down to small details, you'll end up with exactly the fight you want and the script demands. And as the old question goes, how can you possibly eat an entire elephant? Answer, one bite at a time. If you found this podcast useful, please let others know about it, share it on Facebook, and then head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show and to leave a review on the podcast page. It helps me move up in the rankings, and I'd really appreciate it. If you want to go the extra mile to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash violencedesignlab and pledge a few dollars a month to keep the show going. Each level of support has its rewards, including transcripts of these regular episodes and full uncut video footage of my interview episodes, like I'll have next week with Todd Campbell of Fight Directors Canada. This podcast is entirely supported by the generosity of you, the listeners. You'll notice there's no ads or corporate sponsorship. Thanks in advance for your support. So until next week, keep the fights on stage and peace in your life. David, out. Thanks for listening to the Violence Design Lab podcast. For more tips, tutorials, and downloadable resources, visit us at violencedesignlab.com. 